Well, as Jason mentioned, you can turn to Acts. We're going to pick up um, the text in verse 24 and continue where Jason left off last week. Um, And it's great to be here with you guys. I was absent last week. I was down south. It was my best friend's wedding. And so I had an exciting time to get to go down there and be with him and and celebrate his his marriage and, and just what the Lord's doing in their lives, the way the Lord's brought them together. And it was a special time, but um, I missed you guys. I was looking forward to coming back this week and especially getting to be a part of the baptism we'll have after service. But I'm excited as we jump in this morning and continue our study through the book of Acts. Um, as I mentioned, we're, we're picking up in verse 24 today. Um, and, and to start off, I just want to share with you a, an experience I had a while back. Um, roughly seven years ago, I was about to get married. I was in my hometown, and I didn't have a full-time job. I didn't have a place to live. I was, I was staying in my parents' house at the time. I didn't have a car that I owned on my own. I was working part-time for the city on their street crew. And I heard that this full-time position had opened on the water crew. And so I had kind of asked around, like, what do I have to do to get a shot at that? And uh, they said, there's interviews tomorrow. You can be a part of them. Um, show up at this time. And so I show up for this, this interview. I, I sit down before this, this very long, intimidating table full of different people asking me all sorts of questions to try and get my understanding um, and experience when it comes to dealing with water and sewer. I'll give you a little insight. I have next to none. But I know I really want this job. I really need this job. I'm about to get married. And so I sit down, and they start asking me some questions. Questions like, do you know what USA stands for? And I'm thinking, I feel like this is too obvious, so it must not be the United States of America. Um, and then ask, they asked me this question. They said, we're going to give you a scenario, and we want to see uh, if you understand the process you would have to go through. And they said, what would you do if you were on call? You got called out in the middle of the night. You come to Main Street in town, and And the manhole in the middle of the road is bubbling over and there's sewage just going out into the middle of the street. What would you do? And I'm sitting here looking at all these people who are notepads and pen and paper ready to write down my answers. And I'm like, um, and my first answer, unfortunately, I said, well, I wouldn't touch it. I, you know, I I know that much, but I'm not really sure what I do from here. And I kind of fumbled my way along. Uh, I would find a way to clean it up and not let other people touch it and probably said don't touch it like four times. And they're they're kindly chuckling and and going along and um, clearly I butchered it. But here's the reality. At the end of it, um, we had a great conversation. They actually ended up giving me an opportunity at this position, but they made something very clear. They said, we're not giving you this because you have the most understanding. And I'm like, tell me about it, right? They've been talking to people who know the whole process, what to do, and, but they said, we know you. You've been a hard worker. We're going to give you an opportunity and a, and a shot at this, but you've got to learn a better way. That's what we're going to look at today in Acts. In the end of chapter 18 and the beginning of 19, there are some people who have good intentions. There are some people who are, who are striving towards what they believe to be right, but they need to be informed of a better way. And specifically, what we're going to see is they need a better understanding, much like I needed, and they need to know about a better power, a power that can actually help them accomplish what they're trying to do, because it's impossible without 
that power. Well, enough of me talking. Why don't we jump in? Starting from verse 24 of Acts chapter 18, here's what we read. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what were you baptized? So they said to him, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew with the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years. So then all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks." Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, as we we jump into your word this morning, we believe that this is truth. We believe that this is the absolute truth. And we also believe that this is living and active truth. It is powerful. It It is sharp. It is able to divide and discern the intentions, the thoughts of our heart. And it has truth for us today. God, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive that truth. That you would ready our minds to comprehend the spiritual things within this text. Lord, we need your spirit to empower this word. And to give us the discernment to to understand it and to apply it. God, would you be glory, would you be glorified and honored in our study of your word this morning. Would we be Bereans that continue to to study the scriptures daily to find that the things being said are true? And would there be much fruit in our life as we live for you? 
as we learn today of a better way, a better understanding, a better power that is necessary if we want to serve you and follow you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, today what we'll be looking at, if you're taking notes and you want to write it down, is a better way. A better way. We're going to see two different stories here, right? We've got Apollos with Aquila and Priscilla and their interaction. And then you've got Paul as he comes to Ephesus. And his interaction with these disciples, we could say, of John. But in both situations, there were good intentions, but they needed to be told of a better way. They needed to be guided along. They needed to be better directed towards the path in which they should go. And, and we started looking at this man, a certain Jew named Apollos. His name is pagan. It's not a Jewish name. His name actually means destroyer. Thanks, mom and dad, right? Grown up in a Jewish home, but your name means destroyer. Well, what we're going to see is that name is redeemed in a sense, because as he gets to go on to Corinth, as he boldly proclaims and he refutes, he's going to destroy other arguments against the way of God. And so his name, in a sense, we could say is redeemed. The Lord is using that. But this man, Apollos, he's from Alexandria, which is Egypt. And much like, um, much like Athens, this was a city of culture and academia. This was a place where people pursued knowledge and philosophy and understanding and debate. And, and we're given a, a description of this man. He's eloquent in his words. He's fervent in his spirit. Now, don't mistake this to mean that he's fervent in spirit, meaning he possesses the Holy Spirit. There is quite a lot of debate that I will allow you to go and study for yourself around, is this man actually saved or not? He's got a limited knowledge, but he's teaching accurately the things of Scripture, and he's fervent about the things of the Lord, and he's speaking the truth, but he doesn't know the full truth, and I'm, I'm glad that I can just say, um, I don't know. I can see both sides of it. I can understand both arguments. But what we do know is that this man comes from Alexandria, a place that was well known for their study of Scripture. In fact, a place that, that later on, it would be here that the Jewish rabbis would gather together to produce the Septuagint, which would have been the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures. This is where they would have gathered to discuss that and to translate it and go through that difficult process but he's an eloquent man. Literally, that could be translated that he was attractive and convincing in his speech. He's a good debater. He doesn't just come and say, well, here's my opinion because, right? Like, no, no, he's, he's eloquent. He's a great orator, and he, he has reasons behind what he's saying, and there's, there's a method in his description of, of what he's believing and the way he's trying to point people to. He's mighty in scriptures. Wouldn't you love that kind of description about you? Then when someone talks about you, oh, let me tell you about them. They are mighty in scripture. Someone that can just spout off. I, I was at my uh, best friend's wedding this last week, Aaron, and when I think of someone mighty in scripture, I think of Aaron, and here's why. Not only does he know the word well, but he has this incredible ability to reference just about anything. And so if you were to come to me and say, uh, oh, yeah, I'm reading in Deuteronomy chapter 12 right now. I'd go, oh, cool, what's, what's Deuteronomy chapter 12 about? 
Aaron would go, oh, I love that section, and that's right after this and right before this, and in that text, that Greek word, this and this, and he's a man who's mighty in Scripture. He's a man who knows his word and can defend it well and understands the context and, and the history behind it and, and what it's speaking to and the, the application there. That's our man here, fervent in spirit, mighty in Scripture. To be fervent in spirit means he's passionate. It, it literally means he's like boiling over with this energy and this enthusiasm and this excitement. This is the man who's going and teaching accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. He's teaching accurately everything he's been taught, but he doesn't have the full story. See, the baptism of John that he's teaching is, is a baptism of repentance. It's the same baptism that, that those later in Ephesus, Paul will speak to, are preaching of. See, John proclaimed that there's one coming after me who's much greater, and, and I'm baptizing with water, but he's going to baptize with fire and in power, and it's him that I'm pointing to. Well, Apollos here is just speaking of the baptism of John, that, that we need to repent, that we need to make ready because the Lord is coming. And as Aquila and Priscilla, they hear this, this power couple for the Lord, they go, oh, this is good, but, but he's missing the end of it. He's missing the point where this comes to Jesus, where we, we point them to the Messiah who has come. He's talking of one who will come, but, but he's already come. They can experience that, that newness of life and the power that Jesus baptizes in today. He had a knowledge, but it was limited. He taught truth. He taught accurately, but not the whole truth. He was giving them the first half of the good news. He had that message to share, but he didn't have the full story. And there's a message in here for us if we're willing to see it. A challenge to give what you've got. I love that we don't see them finding fault in Apollos here, criticizing him and pulling him aside and saying, shame on you, you're only talking about John. That's all he knew. But what I love is that we have a man here who's enthusiastic, who's energetic, who's fervent in spirit, mighty in the scripture that he knows, and he's got a message to share and he's out there sharing it. He's giving what he's got. Did Apollos have the full story? Not yet. Was Apollos the most experienced and gifted of teachers in that day? Clearly not, because he doesn't have the full story. But he gave what he had, and he gave it passionately. He gave it publicly. He gave it wholeheartedly and fervently, and he gave it biblically to the best of his understanding. I love that. For those of us here today that, that have the full story, that have the empowering of the Holy Spirit already inside of you, working through you, that know the good news of what's to come after that repentance. Is this the same way that we're going out there with this message? Fervently, energetically, enthusiastically, excited with a message to share, looking for opportunities to share it, not saying, well, if they twist my arm and they really ask me, then I'll tell them. That's what you do when you have bad news. <laughs> well, I don't really want to hurt their feelings and tell them this, but if they really twist my arm, I guess I'll tell them. No, but when you have good news, you should be boldly looking for opportunity to share it. Man, you don't have to give me an opportunity. You just say hi, and that's enough for me. Like, well, you introduced yourself, so you asked for it. 
Here it is. Let me tell you about Jesus. But are we looking for those opportunities? And when you tell about Jesus, is it like, so you probably don't want to hear this, and it's okay if you don't believe it, and I don't want to offend you, but there is this guy, Jesus, I kind of believe in if you want to hear more. Like, is, is that how we're sharing the gospel with people? Or is it, man, I've got to tell you about this because this is good news, and this will change your life, and it's changed mine. And you want hope for tomorrow? You want strength for today? You want a peace that surpasses understanding? You want forgiveness for your sins? You want to know your true identity and your purpose? Man, I've got it for you, and it's in Jesus. Is that how we tell this message? Apollos didn't have the full story, but, but man, he's got an energy and an enthusiasm about him that we could learn from. He's excited about the message he has. Don't underestimate what God can do with a few passionate people that are ready to share the good news. But here's the thing. You might read that description of Apollos and you've already disqualified yourselves. He's an eloquent man, Lucas. He's, he's really good with his words. He's enthusiastic. That's not me. God doesn't need you to be eloquent to use you in incredible ways. No, he doesn't. Amen to that, right? One of the greatest evangel evangelists of all time and the founder of the YMCA, D.L. Moody. I was reading this week of, of a little bit of a story about him. He was an incredibly impactful man, but he wasn't super educated and polished in his speech. A woman once came to him after one of his services, and here's what she said to him. She said, Mr. Moody, I noticed in your message that you've made 18 grammatical mistakes. That's the word you want after a message, right? Here's what he said to her. He said, ma'am, I'm using all the grammar I got for the Lord. What are you doing with yours? I like that. He's not making an excuse for it. He's recognizing, look, this is all I got. I know I'm not always saying it right. There's a much better way it could be said. It could be more polished. I could be more educated in this. But I'm giving it all I got. Can that be said of us today? That I'm giving what I got. Maybe it doesn't feel like a lot. Maybe it feels like anybody in this room, Lucas, could do it better than I could. Give what you've got. The Lord will use it in incredible ways. And it reminds me of a time that Jesus was with his disciples and they're looking at some loaves and some fishes. And you know what they're seeing? They're seeing a lack. It's not enough. There are way too many people to possibly feed with this. And they look at the lack and they say it's not enough. And Jesus just says, give it to me. Because do you realize when you give him what you've got, even when it's not enough, do you know what he does with it? He breaks it, he blesses it, and he makes it more than enough. Not only was it enough for what they needed, it was more than enough. They had leftovers. When you give God what you've got, he will take it and he will make it more than enough. Not because you secretly had a lot more than you thought, but because you're placing it in the hands of a God who can multiply it, who can use it for far greater things than you could ever do on your own. They're right. Those loaves and those fishes, it's not enough on its own. But you put it in the hands of a Messiah who can break it and bless it and multiply it, our provider, the one who can do great things with little things, and it's more than enough. You don't have to have a lot to offer. You put yourself in the hands of a God who can do great things. 
This is what Apollos did. And so in this moment, he's guided to these people who can show him a better way. Realize our God loves to use the foolish things to confound the wise. He loves to use the weak things to overtake the strong. He uses those who have the least talent and the least ability so that he gets all the glory and they can take none of the credit. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians when he writes to the church? He says this in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He didn't come with this great, incredible wisdom and power, but he came to proclaim a God who could use his weakness and his failures and his fear and could make much of it when we surrender it to God. God called Moses to be his spokesman. And what does Moses say? I'm not good with my speech. I'm not a good speaker. Don't use me. God called David to be the warrior to defeat Goliath, the shepherd boy, the youngest of his brothers, the one who lacked the kind of battle experience, the kind of armor needed in their mind to win this battle. As we're seeing through the book of Acts, God has called Peter to be one of the front runners for the church, a man who had a big, a big mouth, a man who was constantly scared of people and allowed that fear to hinder him from doing what he should have. A man who acted first and thought later. So he's chopping off ears and he's rebuking Jesus. And God uses this man. Not so that we say, wow, Peter is a phenomenal man. But we're like, I can relate with this dude. Makes lots of mistakes, says things he shouldn't, does things he shouldn't, and God uses him in a mighty way. Then God can use me. I'm encouraged when I read that God uses the foolish things of the world. I'm like, I qualify for that. You can use me, and he can use you too. Are you willing? Are you ready? He's using a man like Apollos. God gets to use men to bring about this incredible glory to himself because people look at that and say, that's not them. I know them. They shouldn't be able to do that. They're not gifted like that. That's something else. Yeah, that's God working through them. Don't allow the enemy to convince you that your weakness disqualifies you. On the contrary, you're at the top of the list with the greatest men and women God ever used. When you acknowledge that weakness and you place it in the hands of a God who can use your weakness and show himself strong. So like Paul, you can boast all the more in your weakness because when you're weak, he is strong. Amen? Amen. He's speaking here of John's baptism, a prophetic promise that looks to a greater baptism of the Spirit that is to come. And Aquila and Priscilla, they hear this message, and it says that they took him aside, and they explained to him more accurately the things of the Lord. If we were reading this today, you'd more than likely read something like this. Then Aquila and Priscilla started a campaign to cancel Apollos and publicly shame him for his misinformation, right? We live in, we live in a time where our culture is not about grace. It's not about discussion. It's not about helping educate people and bring them to a better understanding. It's, 
You said it wrong, so you're canceled. Forget you. Shame them. Get them out of here. Let's find someone else that can say the right thing for a while, and then we'll find something they said wrong, and then we'll shame them and move them aside as well. I love what we see going on in Scripture. This is the way Christians, how we should be acting. This is the way we should be responding. They hear his message, and they're excited about his enthusiasm. His energy is fervent in spirit, and he's teaching accurately what he knows, but they're like, wait a second. He's missing the real punch here. He's missing the ultimate point of what John came to do. He was preparing the way for Jesus. We've got to talk to him. We've got to address this. So they take him aside. They didn't want to embarrass him in front of everybody. They didn't look to publicly shame him. They didn't want to make a scene. They respected him, and they honored him in doing so by taking him aside and explaining to him a better way. They explained it to him more accurately. They didn't reprimand him. They didn't say, shame on you. You don't even know the full story. What are you talking about? They didn't criticize him. They explained to him the full story. They gave him the full truth. Apollos, you're doing great, man. I love that you are so passionate about this, and you're sharing so well up to John. But we've got great news for you, man. The guy that John proclaimed, Jesus, he's here. He's come. He's died and resurrected, and now you can experience that power, that baptism with fire that John talked about. It's available today. And they tell Apollos the rest of the story. But is this our response when we hear half-truths being spread? Someone missing the big picture of what ultimately our life is about and what our purpose and identity is found in? Are we seeking to quietly, politely have a discussion with them and seek to help them to a fuller understanding of the truth? Because if our desire is to be in line with God's, it will be. That will be our response. That will be the action we take. Do you realize God hates lies? God hates it. He hates deceit, and he's not a God of confusion. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He desires unity. He desires truth. He desires clarity and understanding. Are we actively pursuing this with our lives? It's so so easy to overlook someone's mistake, to look on the bright side of their half-truth and say, ah, they'll get it someday. I remember when I was there, so give them time. Do we hear it and go, well, it could be worse. They could be sharing a full lie, so at least they got part of the message. Well, well, they're they're almost there. They'll get there. Or are we going, oh, man, let's let's talk with them. Maybe they don't know the rest of the story. Maybe maybe that's all they've ever heard. I can can explain to them more accurately the full story. I can can take them to Scripture and, and kindly lovingly help them with a, to have a better understanding. That was the heart of Aquila and Priscilla. Let's, let's help this guy so he can continue to be used, but with the full message. Because for this couple, they couldn't walk away and leave this alone. Lives are at stake. This is the gospel we're talking about. And for this man to only share part of it isn't helping anybody. They need the full story. They need to know of Jesus and what he came here and what he did for them. The fulfillment of prophecy. And so they explained to him a better way. 
I was thinking about an, uh, an example of this, and I was thinking, would you want a doctor out there performing surgery who only, only knew half of the procedure? Man, he is a go-getter, and he loves people, and he wants to make a difference in this world. And he's an incredible brain surgeon. He knows the first half of the procedure so well, and he can do it so accurately. Is that somebody you want to entrust your family to have brain surgery under? Absolutely not. And you're not going to say, he's got good intentions. He knows the first half really well, though. There's a whole other half to that, and you want to know from start to finish you're in good hands. So you're going to say, we got to talk to this guy. We've got to stop him from carrying out any more surgeries until he knows the full procedure, until we're sure he's not going to be doing any more damage. How much more when it comes to salvation, when it comes to our souls, when it comes to eternity and where we will spend that no, they don't want this guy to go tell this message just of John one more time. Let's speak to him now. Let's address this clearly. Let's make sure the next message he shares comes to completion. It's not just an exposing of our sins and a need for repentance, but it's pointing to the forgiveness that Jesus offers and the new life we can find in Christ, empowered by the Spirit. Man, they need the full story. So they address it. And just in this first situation we look at, there's a message for all of us to not limit what God can do by your limitations and to not allow half-truths to be spreading around you when you have the full truth to offer people because we know a better way and it comes through a better understanding of the truth. You know, my first year working for that water and sewer department, there were many situations that I got into that caused a lot of trouble for a lot of people because I didn't know a better way. There was a time we lifted up a manhole and there was a big chunk of something gross that I needed to get out of the bottom of there. And so one of the guys jokingly said, well, are you going to hop down there and get it or what? And he walked away and I thought, oh yeah, that's probably my job. And so I hopped down in there and with gloves, I scoop that thing out and I throw it out and I come back and my boss just, his jaw drops and he's like, what are you doing? I said, it was blocking the pipe and needed to get out, so I went and got it out. And he's, do you realize that there could be chemicals in there that you could die? You could stop breathing just by going down there. You don't know what's in there. We need to bring equipment. We need to test what's in there. And even then, you're not climbing down in a manhole. Like, what are you doing? I didn't know any better. And I'm thankful that I had a boss that showed me a better way. So the next time I come to a manhole, I'm not climbing down in it. I didn't know any better. I'm thankful that there are people that showed me a better way. But there are people in their spiritual walks who are doing the best they can with what they've got that need to be shown a better way. And you could keep them from a lot of trouble. You could keep them from a lot of harm and a lot of pain down the road if you would share with them today a better way. Aquila and Priscilla, they were willing to do that. And Apollos, having received now a full understanding of the truth, He's excited about it, and he wants to continue to share, and now he wants to go to Corinth. And you're like, well, what's he going to do in Corinth? Well, we could read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, that Paul shares what Apollos did in Corinth. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who is watering is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Apollos is following up on the seeds that have been planted by Paul. 
Paul has gone and spread the gospel, and now Apollos is going to step in. He's going to continue to water those seeds. He's going to continue to proclaim the full truth that now he knows, and passionately as he does, enthusiastically, eloquently, with an accurate understanding of what Scripture says, and Jesus who came, he's going to go boldly and proclaim the good news in Ephesus. Well, as he's sent off to go and do so, as he goes on his way showing from the Scriptures that now Jesus is the Christ, it happens that while he's there, Paul, passing through the upper regions in the beginning of 19, comes to Ephesus. And he finds some disciples there. Now, Ephesus was the capital and was a richer and larger city than Corinth. Here was the power of Rome and the splendor of Greek culture in Ephesus. There was a temple there, a massive temple. The temple of Artemis or Diana. It was one of the seven wonders of the world located here in Ephesus. And you remember when we looked at Athens, I showed you that picture of the Parthenon, and we look at it and just how massive and incredible it is. To give you a bit of a scale here, this temple of Diana or Artemis was four times the size of the Parthenon. So this is a humongous temple. This is massive, and, and the worship of this goddess Diana is spreading throughout all of Ephesus. And as Paul approaches this town, as he comes in looking to continue to share the good news, continuing to proclaim the truth, following up with those who have heard the gospel, sharing a better way to those who are confused and reaching those who have never heard it before, he comes across some disciples. And what we're going to see is they need a better power. Now, when I say a better power, I hope you don't hear that and think, yeah, the Holy Spirit's just kind of an addition to everything you got going on on the side. No, I mean a better power because you realize you've got no power on your own to be able to accomplish what God has called you to do. You can't do it on your own, no matter your strength or ability. This is the necessary power to accomplish what God has for you. But this is also your seal of salvation. This is your guarantee of salvation. This wasn't optional. And Paul comes and he, he sees these disciples, and the first thing he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? This is crucial. This isn't optional. This is a must. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, I don't know what was going on in their lives, how Paul is able to directly see that this question needs to be asked. Maybe their life clearly was lacking the Spirit. Maybe it's because he sees a clear lack in their understanding or maybe this is just a question that is so important to Paul that every person he comes to, when he hears them say, I'm a disciple, he's like, let's clarify. You say you're a disciple of Jesus or of John. Were you baptized with the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because that's important. If not, you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know the gospel. This is necessary for salvation, and so he wants to clarify it. I love that. Don't just assume when somebody knocks on your door and says, I want to talk to you about Jesus, that they're of the same way you are, that they're disciples of the same Jesus we're talking about here. And here Paul wants to clarify, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And Paul's speaking to that truth that Scripture makes clear, that the Holy Spirit is necessary for salvation. It's not something that comes 12 years later after you've been saved. It is necessary for salvation. You receive the Holy Spirit upon salvation. 
We can see this all throughout Scripture. Romans 8, 9. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Listen to this. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Throughout Scripture, this is not optional. Upon salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. And so he makes very clear, you say you're saved, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And it's interesting that they say, we have not so much as heard if there is a Holy Spirit. Here's why this is interesting. We read that they're disciples of John. We already mentioned John clearly proclaimed that I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me who baptizes with fire and in power, speaking of the Holy Spirit. John himself pointed that you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need to receive the Holy Spirit. But they're lacking in that part of the story, much like Apollos. They've got the first part. They don't have the second part. These were disciples of John, but with limited knowledge, even of John's message. Now, it's my opinion and belief these are not believers. Because of the very reason we looked at, they have not received the Holy Spirit but also what we're going to see is that they say they were baptized into John's baptism, and Paul's going to take them to be baptized again into Jesus Christ. It's the only time you see that in Scripture. Okay, baptism isn't something like your regular subscription that you need to renew every year, all right? It's not like, oh, you know what? Our subscription's out in three weeks for our baptism, so we should sign up because we don't want that to expire. This is, this is not something you continue to do. You do it once. You get baptized to proclaim, as we'll see today, those who are saying, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm a follower of him, and I want to be baptized into this life following after Jesus. Well, these disciples here, they were disciples in the sense that that word means they were students. They were learners. They were seekers. It makes me think of the Magi when they're coming and looking for Jesus, following this star. They knew of the prophecy, but they're coming, and they are not yet to Jesus these were seekers that wanted to know the truth. They were studying and learning as they went, but they hadn't come to Jesus yet. They hadn't come to salvation. And so Paul here is going to bring the full gospel message to them. Now, this is not prescriptive that every time you talk to somebody about the gospel, that you need to have them rebaptized, right? It's important that people understand what they believe before they make this next step. But Paul here is able to speak to them. He's able to share with them the truth of who Jesus Christ is, the fulfillment of that prophecy, the one that John spoke to. And as he speaks to them, as he prays for them, as he lays hands on them, they receive the Holy Spirit, and it is evident through these gifts. Once again, not prescriptive. I remember the first time I was in Bible college, I got to do an extension campus in Italy. And we were on this retreat, and one of the pastors asked, have you guys ever been prayed over to receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit? And I thought, 
uh, no. And so he said, does anybody want to? And I raised my hand, and I went up, and, and they prayed over me, and, and another guy as well. And the other guy afterwards said, I feel like the Lord gave me this vision, and he shared something, something that absolutely lined up, something we absolutely saw come to fruition. No doubt evidence that, yeah, he, he was empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they looked at me. And I appreciate so much what the pastor said in this moment because everybody's looking at me and I'm like, uh-oh, I, I got nothing, right? And the pastor said, you don't need to have anything. You don't need to speak in tongues right now. You don't need to have a prophetic word. That's not necessary as evidence. Sometimes the Lord allows that. Sometimes it doesn't happen that way. And I remember walking away thinking, did I actually receive the powering of the Holy Spirit or not? And what's incredible is I can now sit down and I can look at what the Lord did from that moment on. How the Lord from that moment on, man, set me apart and called me to ministry and, and started giving me the gift of teaching and started giving me these opportunities to lead in situations and to step out and absolutely I can see the effects of that from that day forward. But it wasn't some miraculous special thing in that moment. Nobody would have been able to see it on the outside, but the Lord had transformed me on the inside and he was doing things that weren't visible from the outside. Well, here we see a mini Pentecost take place. All of a sudden, these people are prophesying and they're speaking in tongues. You've got the call to repentance, the baptism, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit with spiritual gifts. You'll see that there's four times in the book of Acts that we see these mini Pentecosts take place. The first one we saw, the original, was with the Jewish believers in Jerusalem when Peter declares to them that day boldly as the Spirit has come upon them that you need to repent and be baptized. The second one we saw was with Philip when he's out in Samaria with the Samaritans. We saw the third one, Peter once again, when he goes to Cornelius' home with the Gentiles. And we see the fourth one lastly here as Paul speaks to the dispersed Jews in Ephesus, declaring with them the full truth of Jesus who has come and the empowering of the Spirit that they can receive and be sealed with. And they receive the Holy Spirit that day. You know what I love is that the receiving of the Holy Spirit in Acts, we see it before baptism, we see it after baptism, we see it in this moment, this empowering of the Spirit. Now remember, there is upon salvation you are sealed. You receive the Holy Spirit. There are other times we see them empowered by the Spirit to accomplish something, to speak out in tongues, to do things that are outside of their ability. But there's not a prescription for that. You don't just start talking and hope that tongues come out. You don't try and manipulate it or force it in your own ability. This is the work of God. We submit and we surrender to Him. And when we see it done, it lines up with His will. It glorifies Him. And it's in unity with the body of Christ. I say that because Thursday night, I look forward to this opportunity we have to have a night of worship and prayer, a night to wait on the Lord, a night to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and if He would give gifts, we want to be open to that. We want to be obedient in that, but we don't force that. We don't manipulate that. We don't try and cause some kind of emotional outburst so that that could happen. We, we trust in the Lord to do as He sees fit, and if there are no tongues spoken, guess what? God is still glorified. The night is not... Uh, decided on if it was powerful and good and awesome based on if there was a prophetic word or a tongue. No, no, we get to come and we get to worship God Almighty who has saved us. That's good enough. And if something else he wants to do, 
Praise God, we're open to it. If nothing else happens, praise God, it was a successful night because we got to come and worship God. But what we see here, they are empowered with the Spirit. They need the Spirit of God. And they need His empowering to live the life He's called you to live. Do you realize that? You need God's power to accomplish God's plans and to fulfill your God-given purpose. You can't do it on your own. And as Paul would say, when you were begun in the Spirit, are you now going to try and work these things out in the flesh? No, absolutely not. We continue to need the empowering of the Spirit to live the life God's called us to. I've got a weed whacker at home, a great weed whacker. I love it. It does great work on my yard. And I went to use it yesterday, and unfortunately, I didn't have gas. And so it doesn't matter how awesome it could be used and how much I needed it, and how much I really, really wanted it to work, it could accomplish nothing until it had gas. Well, that's a lot like your spiritual life. There might be a lot of things you want to accomplish, you need to accomplish, God's calling you to accomplish, but if you don't have the empowering of the Spirit, you can't accomplish it. Jesus made it clear when he said to abide in him, because apart from him, you can do nothing. You're a weed whacker without gas. You're a really big, awkward paperweight. You're a doorstop. You can't accomplish anything until you have his power. And daily are we depending on the Lord for that power? When you get up in the morning, do you realize that? Do you look to the Lord and say, God, I need you today. I can't accomplish anything today without you. Please empower me. Give me the ability I need. God's plan in your power is impossible. And also, your plan with God's power is irresponsible. But God's plan in God's power is incredible. And he can use you to do incredible things. Remember, I'm nobody. No, no, but take a nobody with the power of God in line with his will, and it's incredible what he can do. Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, give a man an electric shock, and I warrant you he will know it. But if he has the Holy Ghost, he will know it much more. And there's no denying when you're, when you're empowered by the Spirit of God. To those around you and to you, you can boldly proclaim, let me tell you, that was not me. I can't do that. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not gifted like that. That was all God. And we give credit where credit is due. But we see here this incredible work going on, and yet we read that some hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way. There are those that are hardening their hearts now and are actually slandering those of the way, right? That title given to the early church. They're hardening their hearts to it. As Paul continues to come back daily and go into the synagogue and teach the truth, and the more he teaches it, the harder some of these hearts are getting. Vance Havner was a revivalist of the 20th century. It's incredible. You read about his life story. He, he began preaching at 12, and he was ordained at 15. Just a man who clearly God had his hand on was using in mighty ways. Listen to what he says. Let it never be forgotten that although we may do nothing about the word we hear, the word will do something to us. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay, and the word of God humbles or hardens the human heart. 
the more Paul continues to preach the word, the more it has an effect on the hearts of the people. And that's how the word of God works. It's living, it's active, it's doing something. And for some, it melts that heart. It draws them to repentance. It reveals their sin and their need for a savior. For others, it begins to harden that heart. It says, no, I don't want that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to live for that. I don't want to believe that. And they continue to get hardened to the point that now they're even unwilling to listen. And so they're just trying to spread slander to get people to come against them and stop them. We see this throughout the entire book of Acts. Those who refuse to believe continue to harden their hearts to the point they just want to stop the message from going out anymore. We see this today as well. People just want to silence the message. They just want to keep you from being able to even speak it because they have so hardened their hearts. So what does Paul do? Paul takes these disciples with him and he goes to this school of Tyrannus. Maybe you know Tyrannus' cousin, Tyrannosaurus Rex. I'm, I'm sorry, I know. My four-year-old will love it later, nobody else. It's okay. His name literally means tyrant. You thought Apollos was bad. Tyrannus' name means tyrant. And in fact, most, most scholars believe no parent would give their child a name with the name tyrant. And so they actually believe this is a nickname that he was given, which tells you how his students felt about him, to nickname him the tyrant, okay? But it's in his school that Paul comes with these disciples and they begin to carry out their study. They begin to continue to proclaim the things of the Lord. But there's a Western manuscript that adds these words from the fifth to the tenth hour. And most scholars believe that we can conclude Paul and his disciples, they rented this school of Tyrannus from 11 to 4 in the afternoon. How were they able to rent it during that time if, if he had school going on? Well, because you need to understand something. In the ancient world, the working hours were from 7 to 11, and then they would take what we could call like a siesta. They would take this break in the heat of the day, and they would go and they would rest this five-hour break in the middle of the day, and then due to the heat after it had cooled down, they would resume about 4 p.m. till 10 p.m. So they've got this chunk where they're closing the building, they're all going home, and then they come back and they continue their study. And Paul says, oh, this is opportunity here. I, I can use your facility during the hottest time of the day when everybody wants to go home and stop working, or those who are too busy to come while they are working now have a break and they can come listen. And so he sees here an opportunity. The point here is that Paul and the other believers, they gave up their rest time. Remember, Paul's a tent maker. He's working. And then he's taking a break like everybody else to go and work some more, to go and teach for five hours and then go back to tent making. But this break in their day, they dedicated it to study the word of God and to witness when the weather was at its harshest. When everybody wanted to go home and take a rest, they were willing to sacrifice time and comfort to further the kingdom of God. Now, I recognize there are probably two groups of people in this room with a possible small third group. And as the worship team comes back up and we prepare to close, I want to ask you to be honest before the Lord where you're at. There are those who are so set on their own comfort and rest, they're missing opportunities to reach others. To be used in a substantial way because everybody else rests at this time, Lucas. Like, 
That's extreme, to not take a rest when everybody else is, when the whole culture says, it's okay, you can take a break at this point. Like, really, you're going to say I should, I should work more? That's how strongly Paul felt about the gospel. I'm not going to take a rest. This is the greatest opportunity I'm going to have throughout the day to reach people. So they can take a rest. That's great. Now it's given me an opportunity to, to share with more people. There's a second group of you here, and when you read this and you hear about him giving up even more of his time, you already feel like you're having a panic attack. And that's because you're busy all the time. You're burning yourself out. You're not depending enough on the Spirit of God to intercede for you, and you don't know how to say no at times. And so you're like, Lucas, I don't even have 10 minutes in my day to give up, let alone five hours to sacrifice to serve the Lord. I'm too busy. There's too much going on. I couldn't possibly do it. Or maybe there's the third group. And maybe you have found that balance of being willing to say, God, show me what it is. I will give of my time. I will give of my comfort. I will sacrifice to serve you. But I also recognize I have limits, God-given limits. And I need to rest. And I need to slow down. And so I'm depending on your spirit but I'm willing to act where you lead me to go and what you call me to do, and you found that balance. If we're being honest, I think there's a very small group of us in that place. But to the first group, don't forget you've been bought with a price. You've been called to glorify God with your body, to give up a nap once in a while, to give up that trip, the TV show, the game that's on, to give up that comfort or that luxury to allow your time to be used as a living sacrifice before God. Are you willing to do that today? It's not wrong to enjoy those things. It's not wrong to have seasons where we do need to slow down. We need times to rest so we don't burn out. But are you willing and obedient when God calls you to give something up? Say, okay, Lord, I really wanted to enjoy this. I wanted to, to relax here, but give me the strength by your spirit and I'll do it. And being willing to step up for those opportunities. To the second group that you feel so busy and so burnt out, the thought of trying to do one more thing makes you want to cry. Don't forget that Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And if you have too much to do in the time you've been given, it's not that God didn't give you enough time it's that we're not stewarding the time well. And maybe some of you, he's calling you to actually give something up that he never called you to pick up in the first place. It's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, he says. You know, we have a series we're going to be looking at after we finish the book of Acts in the fall. I'm not going to spoil it all for you now, but let me just tell you, there's such a neglected rest in our culture that we go, 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 go 24-7. And that's not the way God established it to be. God himself in Genesis, when he created seven days, he rested. And let me tell you, it's not because God's tired or needed a break. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He took a day of rest. Who are we to think we don't need that rest? with our limits. And so we're going to spend some time after we, we finish the book of Acts to really dive into this because I think it is so neglected in our culture to take time 
to rest, to take time to sit and be still before God and delight in the Lord, and to depend more on His Spirit and less on our own energy and strength. And to that third group, if you have found that balance, man, continue to walk in that and fight for that because that doesn't come naturally. There are always going to be more things you could do. In the same way, there's always going to be that temptation in your flesh to say no to things you should say yes to. But you've got to continue to get up every day and take up that cross to deny yourself and to follow Jesus and say, all right, Lord, if you tell me to give up something, I will. And if you tell me to pick something up, I will. But I want to be led by your spirit. I want to be empowered by your spirit. Because guys, there's one thing we know. It's that the gospel has shown us a better way. And we want to live that better way. We want to lead in that better way. We want to point people to that better way. And that way is Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. And if there's one thing you should be living for, it's making much of Jesus. It's making disciples of Jesus, not of Apollos, not of John, not of Lucas, not of Crossroads Church of Jesus. We want to make much of Jesus. We want to make disciples of Jesus. We want to show people in how to live a life that follows in the footsteps and the ways of Jesus because that's where life is found. That's where rest is found. That's where fruit can be born. And you want to see God do a lot with a little. Put your life in the hands of God. Because what do we read in closing here? That all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of God. The gospel spread in an incredible way, and not because Paul went to every home. Paul continued to teach at that school. He continued to equip those disciples for the work of the ministry so they could go out and equip others and disciples that made disciples that made disciples and the word spread. You want to reach the world for the gospel? It starts with you. And then it starts in your home, with your family, in your school and in your workplaces, in your own hometown. And as you continue to preach the word and make disciples where you're at, God will continue to spread that and there will be a ripple effect. And we continue to come back to this number of 12. The first disciples, there were 12. And as we saw a few weeks back in Acts, they gained this reputation for turning the world upside down for God. What we see here, another 12 that Paul would teach and they go out and all of Asia hears the gospel. I don't have to be a mathematician to tell you we've got a lot more than 12 in the room today. And imagine if each and every one of us just looked to find a few more, to tell them the good news of the gospel, to teach them in it and continually teach them in it and show them that better way through the power of God. Imagine how it would spread in all of this area. And let me tell you, there are people out there that need to know the truth. They need to be shown a better way. And they've been struggling in their own strength and they need to know about a power that is greater than them, that can help them to accomplish the things they can't accomplish on their own. They want freedom from their sin. They're not going to find it apart from God. They want forgiveness from their sin. It's not found apart from God. You want a hope and a future? It's found in Jesus. So us as the people of God, let's be proclaiming that better way. Let's be living that better way. Let's be open to those opportunities for the glory of God. Amen.
there's gonna be some people up here available for prayer on both sides of the stage. And as we close with a song of worship, I would invite you if maybe even now the Lord's revealed to you things in your life that have gotta go or things in your life you've been saying no to, you need to say yes to. Or maybe there's just been some corrections he's showing you where there's a better way, a better way to do it. I wanna invite you to come and get prayer. Come alongside others who can hold you accountable, who can encourage you, who can give wisdom, but most importantly, who can pray for you. And who can come alongside you and say, yeah, let's pray that God would empower you by his spirit to do those things he's calling you to do. Because apart from him, you can't do it. So don't just say, all right, I'm gonna go out there and do better. No, 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 come, let's pray together and say, God, I wanna place my life in your hands so you can do a lot more with me than I could ever do apart from you. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for this reminder in Acts. Lord, as we saw through the life of Apollos, this energetic and enthusiastic man who was mighty in scripture, fervent in spirit, but he, he lacked the full truth. And God, if there's anyone here who's lacking a full understanding, Lord, I pray that they would come, that they would ask, that they would seek, that they would knock, that we might share with them the full story, that we might help them to gain a better understanding. Lord, if there's any here who have tried to do it in their own strength, they feel burnt out, they feel discouraged, and they recognize their own weakness and inability, but they just feel disqualified. They feel the waste. They feel useless, God. Overlooked, underappreciated. God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself today and remind them that you can do so much more with so much less if they would just place their hands, place their lives, place all they have in you. And you could use them to be more than enough. God, we want to be empowered by your spirit today. Lord, we want to make much of you today for your glory and your honor. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.